You're listening to the film podcast about indie filmmaking and big budget films with award-winning filmmaker Craig Newland. And welcome to another episode of the film podcast. Well, this episode is being recorded on the same day that Putin has decided to invade the Ukraine. And I've literally just turned off the big screen monitor in the studio to sit down to do the podcast. And I have to say, I am a little bit numb. The images of seeing the people in the subway in the Ukraine with children, nothing to eat or drink. They just fled their homes for safety. The bombs are going off. It's just so hard to comprehend that in 2022 that one man can cause so much pain and conflict. First, we had the pandemic in 2019 and now war in 2022. It's going to be miserable to digest the human suffering that is going to unfold as the days turn into weeks and months ahead. Of course, unlike any other war, this invasion by Putin is being documented. There are filmmakers in the Ukraine capturing images, and of course, the bulk of those images are coming from people with their smartphones filming. In the past, a dictator could spin the truth, but the truth will prevail because the technology of what recording devices will show will be for the entire world to see judge and condemn on. So it's a hell of a day, but the podcast must go on. So my guest is an indie female film director writer who has immersed herself into the slasher horror genre. Yes, I know we've never before done this genre, so it's high tide that we did on the film podcast. So let's welcome in Jill Givagazian. Hi, Craig. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's great to have you on the podcast, be it a very infamous day, which will go down in history. So what are some of your comments about what you're seeing unfold? Honestly, it's just very scary. It's kind of what you were saying. It's overwhelming to imagine what it would be like to be in in a direct danger of what's going on. And it's hard to say much other than it's horrifying. And I, my heart goes out to anyone that's, you know, directly affected by what's happening. Well, Jill, last week I spoke with Ravi Chopra, who made this 25-minute-long sci-fi concept short film. But what it really is, is it's a, it's a pitch for what this film could be like for a feature film. Now, the reason that I mention this is obvious to you, but not to the listener. So tell us a little bit about the short that you made, which showed off your skill as a filmmaker and what you hope to achieve with that concept trailer. Yeah, we set out to make the stylist short film. It's been such a long time. We made it in 2015. It came out in 16. Actually, you know, before we made the short, when the concept for the film first came to me, I had only directed one short film at the time. And it was a kind of a matter of the concept I wanted to be a feature. I, I knew that from the in, kind of inception of it. I also I kind of had the, the awareness that I needed more experience as a director before I made that huge leap. So it felt like a, a concept that we could tell in both formats and it wouldn't feel like you know, we were stretching it out to, to turn it into a full length film later. It was really just, it felt like it made the most sense for me as a filmmaker, and we hoped that it would, you know, we were planning to put it into festivals, and we hoped that it would, if it did well, that would only help us then get the feature made. (laughs) What's funny is in hindsight, I never thought about if it didn't do well, then we kind of shot ourselves in the the foot to make a feature. 
Mm, yeah, and I think that you've got to be brave is probably the word because you've got to get this experience and you recognize that very early on that with a little bit more experience, the short would obviously help you to then move forward and make this feature film. Doesn't always happen like that though, as you say, because with a short and this is a concept short, it could all sort of fall over and never become anything. But it did go on to feature at Tallyride and I think you've picked up a bunch of awards for that short. So that obviously helped. How much of a difference did that help you in getting your money together for making your debut feature? I think it, you know, it did help us a lot ultimately. At one point when the when the short film was first playing festivals and we had a lot of interest in a feature version, it was like people just knew it without us saying anything. And we we didn't have the script ready at that point. So I, I always wondered if it could have happened sooner if I were ready. But once it finally came down to making it, we'd actually spent a few years trying to send it out and get it financed. We just kept hitting, you know, roadblocks. And finally, I got to the point where I was like, we're going to do this truly independently. I connected with Robert, my DP, and Sarah Sharp, our production designer. They're the main two producers with me on the film. And I was like, what do you think about doing this on our own? And, you know, with the fan base behind the short film, we could, you know, garner a, a good amount of money. We, we did a portion of it on Kickstarter and then pieced it together with private investors. But I think it's a lot with the, the brand we built with the short. It did play a, an insane amount of, of f- festivals. It was on even on Shudder streaming for a couple of years. Finally, we were like, we need to make this before too much time passes, you know, since the short released. And your film features a serial killer. It's pretty gory. I mean, it's a slasher film. Tell me a little bit about the attraction, because I read somewhere of how you find it interesting that serial killers don't see themselves as psychopaths, and often they believe that they're much more than that. So you're obviously attracted to the genre. I am. I. It's kind of a, two different answers. My attraction to like to the special effects art and the blood and guts is kind of a just something I've always enjoyed and had fun with since I w- was a teenager. But the interest kind of in the psychology of um, serial killers or you know, people who have done what we maybe would call monstrous things. I'm just really interested in, in understanding the layers behind people like that and characters like that. And I don't know. I don't think any, you know, anyone is one thing. We are all, you know, made up of all these things that have happened to us and experiences we've been through. I've always been very interested in like in anti-hero type stories, you know, in films that embrace characters that would typically just be a, you know, a, a surface level villain. Instead, we get to understand them more. That's been something that's always interested me. And I noticed that there is this very sad tone to your film and a disturbing theme as well. But tell me a little bit about the sad tone, which definitely plays throughout. Yeah, with this with this character, Claire, she's become so real to me after all these years. But that was just always a huge theme for me with her story and her her life and what I understand of her, that she feels very alone in in many ways, she doesn't really feel like she can relate to others. I mean, instead of even trying, she instead tries to feel how they feel versus trying to connect with someone else. And so I feel like this is just a character that feels extremely alone. And I think that comes from a history of 
being neglected going way back to her childhood. And I, I think it's an interesting subject just because it's something we can all relate to on some level. And this sounds disturbing and I, I laugh at when it laugh when I say it out loud, but I've always also had a huge passion for films make me extremely emotional that can evoke tears, whether that's because of is sad or hope, you know, a hopeful type of tears. I love really emotional film and I've always loved tragic stories. So it's all of that combined. Well, the reason that you're attracted to that is that that's an emotional response. And as filmmakers, if we can move somebody with that emotional response, job done. That's the best way that we can connect with our audiences is just to yes. you know, have that emotional response. That is the tricky part of filmmaking. Yeah. And I mean, that is truly what made me fall in love with movies. I can remember being very young and loving that a movie could make me cry, which sounds so morbid. But I was just so enthralled with that, that that was possible and thought it was like magic. And yeah, that's my my dream as a filmmaker to create that. You know, as a filmmaker, that is the magic that you're creating. It's hard to sort of capture that in a bottle, to be able to have somebody feel something with a film. And it all comes down to the director and the way that that vision operates throughout the film, whether or not you're hooking people in for those emotional responses. Yeah, I I don't know if there's so much of a trick to doing that or if it's more just about caring for your work in an emotional way like that. <laughs> um, I'm very emotional about my work and especially this character and this film specifically. Well, you never know because I've said this before, it's, it's like a musician, somebody releasing a song, a single on the radio. They don't know for sure whether that song is going to be a hit single. They hope it's going to be and it's the same with a film. You hope that you strike the right tone. Some filmmakers will say, wow, I didn't expect that film to go gangbusters the way that it did. And then there'll be other films that we've watched that we've absolutely loved, but they've been trashed and people haven't connected. And we've said, how is it that people haven't really got that film? I love that film. As a filmmaker, it's it's scary to, you know, like you're saying, you have no idea how this thing is going to be perceived when it finally comes out. And what's it was interesting when we got close to our first festival premiere, it's like it suddenly dawned on me that people were going to see it. <laughs> it was like, I've been working on it for so long. Since the short film, I had, I did have this like kind of special feeling about the project in general that I couldn't have imagined this, what happened with the short or the feature, but I just had a feeling that something was special about it. I don't know what that meant. You kind of do have feelings, you know, I feel like, and that's what inspires us to go after something. Like there's something here, you know, that has this thing that you can't even, you know, put words to. Because I've also made films where I've learned like, you know, this isn't the one that's going to, you can feel when it's not as well. Honestly, the reception of the feature has been incredibly exciting. And we've seen lots of interpretations of the character that are very different. And that was our hope that she would be kind of open enough for people to make her their own. And that's like, that's the ultimate success for me. Yeah. And just coming back to you feeling something, what were you feeling for the very first time playing this in a cinema with an audience? Because you can read the room. It's nerve wracking to go into a cinema with a audience to watch your film down. But what were you feeling in that moment? 
it yeah it is it's like such an equal mix of the most terrifying and most exciting moment we had a very unique experience because we first world premiered when the pandemic was still very, very bad. And so it was virtual at first. But when I finally got to be in the room, because like you said, you can really feel like in real time, feel if specific moments worked or reactions come that maybe you didn't even expect. There's nothing better than that. But it is it is equally one of the most anxiety inducing events. I'm probably like jittering and my hands are sweating the whole time, but it's also the most like proud and exciting thing ever to be able to, to share something like that and hear the reactions. And just coming back to social media, because you said that you got some real traction going for your film, which is very difficult to achieve. But I think that you've been able to achieve that somehow through social media. So tell us a little bit about that, because obviously the the short, the concept trailer, whatever you want to call it, that managed to really get a bit of a crowd behind it. And there was a lot of social media stuff happening. And then you went into your Kickstarter and then that propelled a little bit of money. And then you were able to connect with other people. They came in, bang, you make your film. Thank you so much for asking because I feel like so many people don't, you know, realize or appreciate the social media world and what it can do for your film, especially, you know, as an independent filmmaker, it's just this huge free tool to use at our disposal. I feel like I've always kind of understood the like building a brand for yourself and networking and just putting yourself out there. Something I've kind of always understood. I'm also a hairstylist. And when I was young, I would pass out flyers for my hair work at concerts where there were the kind of people I wanted to do their hair. And so I've always really understood how to get out there and connect. And then with social media, I've always really used it to my advantage with the filmmaking. And it's such a huge way to connect, you know, with people all over the place. And even if you can't, as the filmmakers, attend each festival with your movie, you can keep track with it there. You can follow the hashtag for the festival. You can see the actual reactions to your movie and interact with the people. Like all these interactions lead to something, I believe. And I feel like it's proof in like what I've done as a no film school filmmaker making a feature film. It's half due to this thing we we built on social media and networking. It's important to attend festivals and to post about everything and to interact with all the stuff you can find and share it all. That connection you can make with the audience now is so much more personal and it makes them so invested in what you're doing. It's like on this whole nother level. And I feel like the stylist has really benefited from the connection we've made with our audience. You know, we even did a Kickstarter for the short film and went on to do another for the feature. And we have hundreds of people that donated to the film. There's a lot to say about, I think, connecting with the real people and being personal about it and sharing the, you know, the whole journey, not just the final product. It's like they're part of it, you know. So that's really been my mantra with how to approach all that. And now I kind of help other filmmakers do it. So it's like a thing I think I really understand. Social media, in terms of what you're saying, you've got a very good handle on how to manipulate and use the social media to get your brand, your films out there to the public and then engage. I think what you're probably underselling a little bit here is the amount of effort and dedication to social media that that requires. And that is a 
hell of a lot of work that you are putting in day in, day out. And I think that there are some filmmakers that maybe just find that a little bit too hard. They don't want to put in for some reason that huge monumental effort. It's your film. Hell, if you're not going to do it with your film, what are you going to do it with? So there is this total dedication to the social media that you have to understand, manipulate, and then go about doing it every day consistently. Yeah, you are correct. It is like a full-time job. And if you, I think if you look at it that way, you could take it more seriously. And I think people mistakenly look at it like it's something that's superficial and it's they're above it. And it's something that can be used in a very genuine and personal way that can just help your career. And I run my own. I run multiple film accounts on each social media. It is a lot of work you know, unique ways to bring stuff up that it's not just the same exact post, you know, every single day. You see why on huge films and really famous people hire whole, whole teams to run that for them. That's right. And we, the indie filmmakers, we don't have that at our disposal, but we have our time and our time is free. And if we convert our free time into something meaningful, and that's the key, it's got to be meaningful with social media, then you will be able to garnish uh, some sort of an audience, which you've clearly been able to do. Thank you. Yeah, I think it is like you saying, it's about being genuine. It's not like creating this whole fake feeling campaign. It's really still about being you because that's why we connect to artists and with to other people. All of us are why we're interested in stuff like this. And But it is such a huge tool to not use. And, and also, like you said, if you're not going to champion your own work, you can't expect really anyone else to. And in, in this world where a million movies come out every week with all these streaming channels, if you're not willing to say, look at my movie, it, it, come mm-hmm. on, like you yes. said. Yeah. That's it in a nutshell. You've got to be able to champion everything that's contained within that film, otherwise you are going backwards. Let's invite your cinematographer who you worked with on both your short and your feature film, Robert Stern. Welcome to the Film Podcast. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me, Craig. Well, it's great to have you on the podcast, be it this very strange, infamous day with the invasion. And I did ask Jill at the top of the show what her thoughts were. What are yours? Well, ultimately, I'm only getting the information about it during the scout. I'm currently on a movie right now, and the little blips I've been seeing and hearing about via the radio in between scouting and seeing the next location seems like true horror. Like That, that to me is beyond horror. I would say about anything in relation to this would be my heart goes out to these people and it kind of shakes me to the to the core honestly okay well let's just talk about something a little bit more positive and back to the podcast is this a little bit unusual for you because you've worked with jill a couple of times one on a short and then you went on to make the feature Correct, correct. Yes. That's in itself a little bit of a fairy tale. I don't know how many times shorts fully become features. Something that was very special to me to see that happen and, and be a part of it. Jill and I met on a fil- another short film. I believe it was in like 2014. And as a cinematographer, you've worked on other shorts, and I guess some of these shorts might have been hoping to get up as a feature film, but maybe they didn't. In the case of Jill, hers did, so it's a little bit unusual, isn't it? 
some regards, I think people would call that proof of concept when you ideally are looking to create a smaller form narrative to make it into a long form narrative like that. And oftentimes it's, you know, not not really a, a thing, but there's such audience for the short and just such a reaction to the short that it found itself in this world of we need more. We want to hear more. We want to see where this goes. We were fortunate enough to have a lot of people come to us saying those things and allowing us to basically have enough money to start discussing how we could make a longer form version of the film. So that was really awesome. I was talking with David Gribble a couple of weeks ago, who we featured on the podcast and has done movies like Cadillac Man with Robin Williams and the world's fastest Indian. He would say to me that you just never know who is going to make it from a short film and then become the next Steven Spielberg, which is why a lot of cinematographers will offer their services for, for this very reason, right? Yeah, I would think so. And also to explore uh, just a new avenue with a new person and their perspectives. And really, I could list off a, a lot of different things, why shorts become very important to a cinematographer. And and those include, you know, exploring a new way of shooting that they might not have ever approached before, lighting or blocking or some new technique that this person basically fused with a post-process that they're familiar with. It's just a, a, a great ground to experiment and explore with. And you get turned on by all such things. And it's just the reason to make shorts. Actually, David Gribble worked with a young woman on her very first short film who went on to win an Academy Award. So the proof is in the pudding right there. You got any idea who that might have been? I'll give you a clue. She is a nomination in this year's Oscars. Oh, wow. Hmm. That's put you on the spot. (laughs) This sure sure does. I wish I followed it a lot closer than I do. My goodness, to guess at it, I'm not quite sure. So Jane Campion. Oh, of course. Okay. Yeah. So The Power (laughs) of the Dog got 12 nominations at this year's Oscar. She's she's in for Best Director and Best Picture as well. So, yeah, David David managed to spot that pretty well. (laughs) Wow. Beautiful work, David. (laughs) You'll love that. Actually, Robert... Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just in terms of a DP with so many producer credits, I was having a look at your producer credits, and I have to say that, uh, man, there's a lot of producer credits on your list of credits. Is that just part of your negotiation in terms of bringing in a producer credit? Well, yes, that's all the above. As a cinematographer, there's only like that quenches certain aspects of being a filmmaker that I enjoy. But being a producer is like it fills in the other gaps that I really love, which is being involved in other things in the conversation, including the financing, casting and other little bits that like really complete the film. Uh, Cinematography is my, my true passion, but being a producer really, you know, alongside of other great producers helps me get everything out of it that I want. It gets, it gets all of it out of the squeeze for sure. That's interesting because it's not just a title. You are actually working in the capacity of a producer, but probably more importantly, you're working alongside in the front seat, sitting up front with experienced producers to actually learn that craft of producing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in certain budget levels, it becomes quite 
a large part of the conversation to have producer credit. As long as we keep making content, I'll say, at this rate, uh, there's just going to have to be an understanding, I think, uh, maybe this other hat the cinematographer has to have to be able to craft, you know, the images alongside of just getting through your day and having the understanding of how to produce at the same time. It's like, it's almost like the second hat that you have to wear at certain levels. And has that second hat when you've been negotiating or when you've been up for a job has that actually tilted in your favor to actually get the job i would say yes i I think it, it helps me ultimately conversate with the other producer if it's having that understanding of where to you know bend here and there and and make days and and just the day-to-day logistics it helps in those conversations when I'm working with the line producer or the produced by producer or even people from the studio, it it helps quite a bit, uh, at least having that type of recognition. Uh, So far, so so good. Uh, The reason that I ask you that is that no doubt down the track, there is going to be some changes in the future that might take place as a result of the Alec Baldwin shooting and holding all producers accountable for anything that goes wrong on a film set. Because unlike you, which was interesting to discover, because you're actually working in the capacity of a producer, but there are many of these credits that are just that. They're just a credit, somebody is a producer, but they're not actively working as a producer. I think a lot of these people might think... Mm, a little bit differently to actually having that producer credit if you're going to be held accountable. That might be something they think about. Yeah. Um, There's no reason not to think about it. It's definitely a a position that's held accountable. Parts of me think that that's already built into being a cinematographer in a lot of ways. Uh, You are responsible not just for the image making, but I'm, I'm responsible for the different teams I run. So that, that is definitely a part of my thinking every single day. And especially if that's the late nights and the early mornings, a lot of, a lot of those calls, they, they ask me to be a part of. They ask me to help them make decisions on. So knowing that in the day-to-day creative role, I, I need to make sure that people are getting home safe and getting in right and people are making the right decisions right there in front of me. I think naturally, I think that's built into the role and that accountability is fine. You know, that's what I deal with. And having a look at Jill's film, seem to be a lot of practicals in use for this film. It's a low-budget slasher horror film, so understandable. So everything was kind of operating as a in-camera capture, but most cines really do prefer to operate that way anyway. Let's get everything in camera. Of course, yeah. I want it, I want it finished uh, while we shoot it. Um, yeah, absolutely. The, the least amount of post-process, the better. You know, all the way down to the practical effects work that's done. I'm more interested in removals than additions. So anything we can do practically, including using practicals on set, is definitely a part of what I'm thinking. So Jill's short that became a feature that you were the cinematographer on. Tell me a little bit about some of the challenging aspects of this film. The stylist had some really wild ones, to be honest with you. And, and, and beyond weather, you know, weather's a part of every movie. The stylist had a Super Bowl effect what we were doing. And that's American football Super Bowl. We had the Kansas City Chiefs, which were the, the, the team in town in the Super Bowl during our run of show. So during our run of show, every 
Saturday or Sunday leading up, we'd be dealing with playoff changes and playoff adaptations because our schedule will be adapted around it. And then they ended up going and proceeding to the, to the final game in the Super Bowl, which then they won, which then meant, <laughs> funny enough, them having a Super Bowl parade right down Main Street, which is where we were shooting that previous night. So there's aspects I'm sure Jill would love to, to add to this, but very interesting and unique one was basically dealing with a celebration and Super Bowl right in the middle of our movie. <laughs> well, that doesn't happen on every movie. And as an indie working cinematographer, what are some of the most common go-to devices to help tell story that helps you working in the horror genre? For me, working fast, working very quickly means a very good zoom lens. Um, I'm a big fan of the Ingenue series of zooms that really help me save time with the camera team. It's just that little extra debate of lens swapping here and there that adds up during a day, during a week, that, that for me helps everything. But communication-wise is probably the next big thing. And the ear tech system has been a game changer for, for my teams over the last couple of years. Our ability to communicate instantly and have a dialogue continuously has changed everything for us. And who are your DP influences at the moment? Perhaps people that you admire more in the contemporary working DPs today? Current DPs that I am interested in. Um, I've got a lot of friends that really that really have set a high bar and do some great work. People like Peter Moseman and Corey Pop. These are some guys that I really enjoy working with. I've operated for. Other people I look up to, I'd say, like the Bradford Young of the world. Um, Bradford Young has done some amazing work, and I really look closely at everything he does. He's got an amazing eye for for really minimalizing and making things simple and, and kind of taking the camera out of the equation. So he's on one side of it, and on the other side of it, I'd say there's uh, the series DPs from the show Euphoria that are quite different. They're on the opposite end where they're using the camera as if it's some sort of wild javelin that ends up, you know, taking the camera up, down, sideways, all over. And I really enjoy seeing that side of things where they're maximizing camera movement and ideas. So I'd say Bradford and, and probably the series DPs from Euphoria have really been interesting recently. All right. So just before we go there, Robert, you mentioned that you're currently on location. What are you shooting? Ah, very good. Yes, uh, we start next week on a feature film here in Champaign, Illinois, and Rantoul, Illinois. It's called Black Mold. It is quite an interesting flick by uh, director-writer John Pata. He has been involved in a lot of our features here in the Midwest via being an editor or even a post-production supervisor. Everyone here in the Midwest, we've built quite a community, is kind of entangled in each other and each other's passions and projects. And John's been a standout for, for many years amongst our group. And uh, what he did for the stylist and what he's done for a lot of our films, you know, can jump in and direct or, and be a filmmaker that really shines here in the Midwest. Um, so starting his film next week, Black Mold, it's a thriller. It's a, it's a really fun flick. Been scouting it for the last couple of weeks and months, so... Getting excited to jump into it. All right. Well, look, on that note, we'll let you go. Thank you so much for coming on to the film podcast today and good luck with all your films coming up. Thanks so much, Craig. I appreciate you having me on. Good luck, Jill. Talk to you soon. Slice yeah. to you soon. <laughs> real soon. Real soon.
Now, when I saw your film, I wondered whether you, the filmmaker, in a former life was actually a hairstylist without realising that you were a hairstylist. And the reason for that was when I saw your film, there seemed to be certain nuances and details that your actor was doing that I thought, no, wait a minute, this is too much detail coming through. Is this person connected in any way to hairstyling? (laughs) Yeah. Yes, I still do hair. And that's where the whole, which it's a funny conversation at the salon. Are people scared of me? But (laughs) um, that's where the a whole idea really came from with the whole kind of indie thinking of reverse engineering an idea around like stuff that you have or not specific knowledge you have or locations. And it was kind of all those things. I'm sitting in the salon one day and I'm just thinking, how is there not already a horror movie about a hairstylist killer? <laughs> and and then that, and then it went from there. And I, but yeah, it felt like this thing I could make really personal and really hairstylists could watch it and see those kind of details like you're saying and say, this, there's no way a non-hairstylist made this movie. Yeah, no, it, uh, it definitely came through. And I thought that your lead actor, man, she did such a good job on this indie film of yours. She was so contained with the way she was playing it. And obviously that comes down to a lot of direction from you. So yeah, I sort of tipped my hat off to the way that that worked. Thank you. She is, I think most of it is her incredible presence. Like she's been acting since she was very young. And I saw her in another horror film called Contracted. And I got to meet her at a screening of it like a year before we made the short film. And she just kept coming to mind as we were writing it. I went out on a limb to try to connect with her and it it just all kept fell into place. And when I first saw her run the short film, it was like we had struck some sort of gold. I had no idea how this happened for us. She's so incredible. And then to have her, she's so invested in the project, reading all of our drafts really helping me honestly develop Claire further. She's really involved in the, in the project. I think that is part of why it's so, it feels, she feels so lived in the character because it's been with in her mind for so many years. I'm praying that she blows up. She's such a talent. And there's no doubt that you're very much an authentic filmmaker. You're working in the indie space. As you mentioned, you are still hairdressing and the film itself It's being picked up for distribution. So tell me a little bit about that. Yes, it's like a dream come true. We we are with Arrow Video out of the UK, but they've picked up the rights for almost all English-speaking territories in the world. If you're familiar with Arrow Video, you know they're you know so known for putting out their pristine collector's editions of films. One of the most exciting things as of growing up a horror film fan is we have this incredible packed Blu-ray that has a poster and the soundtrack on CD. It has crazy amount of special features on the Blu-ray itself. It has a booklet. They really included us in every detail of putting the package for the Blu-ray together. It was such a, I feel like a dream experience. I've heard a lot of scary distribution stories from, you know, filmmaking friends in the past. And we're slowly coming out in a lot of different countries, which is even more surreal for me to imagine that we, we are like a foreign film in other places. 
I got my hands on a German media book that we had released in Germany. And I can't, I don't know what half of it says, but it's completely surreal for me and continues to be, honestly. This must give you a lot of chatter with your clients when you're cutting their hair. Do you have some? <laughs> do you have some people sort of look at you, particularly new clients, thinking, "Oh, yes, yes, you're a film director, dear. Yes, of course you are. Yes." Do you have anybody thinking, "She's she's <laughs> yeah. full of it. She's she's just having a, having me on. She's joking with me." Yeah, I think. I think that happens or probably they might not realize we made a film that's as as big as it is. And a lot, a lot of my clients I've had for a very long time, so they already know a lot about me. But newer ones that will learn, I'm a horror filmmaker and then I made a movie about a hairstylist. <laughs> that kills people. If I go on to tell them the whole thing and they're not really, you know, much of a, a fan of that type of thing, I can tell they're a little maybe concerned <laughs> And then what's even to, to double down, the salon within the film is where I work. That is the location. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, so it just gets more and more real and maybe scary. <laughs> well, what about the clients that watch the film and go, wait a minute, this is where she cuts my hair? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I haven't had anyone. Well, maybe I don't realize who's never come back. You're, you're making me realize. <laughs> I haven't noticed anyone be too scared. You know, I have a lot of clients that like film and horror films, so they, they think it's fun and exciting. <laughs> I've joked that I hope that it, if it were to become really big, like a cult film in a 20 years, that people would come visit the salon and the same way I would go to the Texas Chainsaw House. <laughs> I was going to say, did you do any screening in the salon with clients? I haven't. I don't know why I haven't, but I've had friends that do hair and they've sent me pictures of them showing, having it on while they're doing somebody's <laughs> hair. And I've even seen on social media a salon out in Los Angeles. They all hosted a party and watched it at the salon. And so to me, that's that's also a, a dream come true. I, I hope that every hairstylist in the world learns of the movie eventually. Oh, yeah. You could go around America doing special screenings with the director. Just a salon tour. Yeah, the salon <laughs> screening tour with the director. Perfect. And get, I could give haircuts. And haircuts. <laughs> hey, look, it's been a lot of fun, Jill, talking with you on the film podcast and all the very best of luck, whatever comes your way into the future. I'll certainly be watching out and let's hope for the best. And thank you so much for having me on. You've been listening to The Film Podcast with Craig Newland, your weekly podcast about all things behind the camera and in front of it. Until next time, have a great week.